This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 450 of the Stable Scoop Show. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Our terrific sponsors this week are the Fairfield Inn North in Lexington, Kentucky, which I'll be seeing this weekend, uh, horselovers.com, and Road to the Horse. We go hunting with Tom Lewis, master of the Norfolk Hunt in Massachusetts. Horses in History brings us Wimpy, P1, and Auditor Hillary reviews the none finer grip reins. Listen in. Welcome to the Stable Scoop, with weekly shows delivered right to you. With Helena and Glenn the Geek, live from the stable, it's every week. They'll bring you the news through hell, hot water, while using their tails as their own fly swatters. Sit on down and laugh till your poop Cause it's time again for Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop Stable Scoop This is Glenda Geek And this is Helena B And you're listening to the Stable Scoop Radio Show On the Horse Radio Network well, Helena, immediately after we record this today, I am heading to Lexington, Kentucky, to the Kentucky Horse Park. On the road again. On the road again. Yes. Uh, back <laughs> to the, you know, it's, it's never a sad day when you're going to the Kentucky Horse Park. I do have to say that. It's never I know. a sad if you, day. <laughs> if you have to go for a long distance road trip, at least you're, la- you're landing in Kentucky. That's right. True. And it's baby season. All the little babies are out. Uh, yes. in Kentucky. So I get to see all the little babies and heading off to the road to the horse. I wanted to mention, uh, by the time you hear this, we'll be in the middle of our coverage at Road to the Horse. We are going to be on Horses in the Morning Live Friday and Saturday morning at 9 a.m. And then Sunday, we'll, we're covering the entire finals like we did. We're giving you a live play-by-play. The only free coverage of the finals at Road to the Horse is on Horses in the Morning from 11.30 to 3.30. Uh, my co-host this year is Tara Carter, whose husband competed at Road to the Horse, and who uh, also was the pen wrangler for him, and she trains horses herself. They do ranch horses, so they know a little bit about quarter horses. And uh, this is the year of the ladies. It's the first year at Road to the Horse that it's all female competitors this year. And it's also the first year we have an English trainer. We have a show jumper out of New Zealand that's competing, nice. and she trains English. It's the first year of that happening, too. So, Very nice. Yeah, so I think it's going to be a different year. It's going to be, you know, there are probably less well-known names than the Clinton Andersons and the Chris Coxes of the world who we're used to seeing. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle the horses if it's any bit differently than than the uh, clinicians and trainers of years past. So now there has been one female winner of Road to the Horse, and that, of course, is Stacey Westfall won the year she competed. And she'll be there this year. She's doing the announcing on the floor this year. So we'll get to hear her all weekend. Oh, cool. Yeah, she'd be good at that. She's Oh, yeah. She's she's Stacey's good at anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. She's one of those people. And when they do signings there, she has a line 200 long. Oh, I, I, more than anybody else. I've run into her at Equine Affair a few times, and it's just you can't even get close to her. She's mm-hmm. that. No, exciting she, for people to meet she is and you know and every, that nice too and, she's yeah. that nice and she is that nice by the way it behind the scenes she's just that nice 
So you you get what you get with Stacey Westphal. Her husband's super nice. I've got to spend some time with him last year at Road to the Horse. I do, I do get to see some really cool people there. So that's kind of fun. Now, I do not wear my cowboy hat like I do at podcast conventions because there I'm tagged as a faker immediately because I got my sneakers on. So no cowboy uh... boots. Yeah, and I don't have any big belt buckles. I do, we have to get HRN belt buckles. What do you think? Yeah. Would that be cool? I'll wear belt buckles. Yeah. I could be a fake cowgirl. Yeah. I think I we can fake cowgirl. it with HRN cow belt buckles. I have to look into getting those made. They're actually not that expensive. I have to get, we'll definitely have to look at that. You know what? This will be good because, you know, when I go out hunting, I can wear all my, my proper hunt attire. And then when I'm just hacking around town or going on trail rides, I can wear my smooth stride jeans with my cowboy boots and, and your big ass HRN belt buckle. And my hat. There you go. I need, a, I need a sparkly top, though. I won't be showing, but I still wear the sparkly top. And I am such a lousy cowboy because I've tried on 100 pairs of cowboy boots, and I have never found anything remotely comfortable that I'd want to walk in all day. Mm. You know, so I kind of fail there miserably. Well, you know, there are some major boot manufacturers that make that now make boots for, for riding in that are equally as comfortable walking in. Well, I'm going to have to try one of those that actually look like a cowboy boot, so I fit in here at Road to the Horse because uh, okay. I'm, I'm looking kind of like an outsider in my sneakers. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, uh, you're you have gonna... to wear your award-winning hat. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, oh, there, I'll wear that. I'm sure they'll be impressed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so today, you're in heaven. We're going to be talking fox hunting a little later. We are. We're going to be talking with Tom Lewis, who's MFH of Norfolk Hunt, which I hope to be riding out with this year as soon as I get Yay! my trailer back How from exciting the shop. that we get to – and that was not planned. Denise scheduled this one, right? You didn't ask her to, so that's kind nope. of cool. That was totally serendipitous, and he's a nice guy. I met him once before at a hunter pace, and he's definitely he, – he walks the walk. And to give people an idea where this hunt is, it is between Rhode Island and – from the map, it just looked like it's between Rhode Island where you are and Boston. Like it's kind of just in the southwest of yeah. It's southwest of of Boston. Um, yeah, that's pretty so, country there. That's very rolly hills and oh gosh, Dover, it. Massachusetts. Um, yeah, it's cool. It's nice. It's cool. Nice. How long a drive for that? An hour and a half for you? It'll be about yeah. With a trailer, it'll be about an hour and a half. Well, that's not too bad. We've all driven further than that for our shows. <laughs> no, but you know, I'm a novice trailer driver, so I'll be white knuckling. Well, you get a lot way. of practice. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'll drag somebody. Throw you in the deep you. end of the pool. <laughs> there, they actually do a couple of hunts right down here by me. There's, there's two in particular. Um, one's in Dartmouth, and the other's actually right on the Little Compton um, Westport border. So I'll at least be able to hunt at two meets. That now, are will nearby. you bring Brody for that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. He, he's ready to go hunting now. He's all no. I uh, know. <laughs> <laughs> We're. I'm trying to get a couple of people together to do some group trail rides at um, around here. So he's been fine on hunter paces. He's okay with the average neighborhood dog running up under his feet. Uh, so I don't know how he'll do with the excitement or with riding in a group. He was a nose to tail trail horse at one point. So he's, he's okay as a bumper, but you know, things change when you put them in a group and the excitement level goes up. Um, they tend to want a little more personal space until they become seasoned field hunters. So I don't know. I'll throw a red ribbon in his tail and cross my fingers. Well, as long as nobody comes up behind you, you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not a red ribbon. I'll put a green ribbon in his tail. We don't know he's a kicker. We yeah. know he's not. He's green, so we'll put a green ribbon in yeah, his tail. Yeah, that, that's fine. That'll work. 
that'll work. And he won't be green for long. That's one thing about hunting. They either get it or they don't. You know he's pretty so, quickly. And, you know, he, he has that old school quarter horse. I think horse. he's going to be fine. Mentality, yeah, he's really handy. Um, he's awesome with his feet, and um, and no horse wants to be left behind, so they go along. <laughs> it's he like, goes along, right? <laughs> like Nigel, he'll be fine at hunting because he is get left behind. He's not going to be back Jen's there by said. himself. So yeah. <laughs> he'll be. We uh, I, I we don't have time to recount the story because it took me about a half an hour. But if you get a chance, uh, head over to Monday's Horses in the Morning show, the first half hour, everybody, and we'll tell you about the story of Jennifer and I's Saturday last week, and and our adventures and why Nigel ended up with a great big ice pack on his face. So oh, uh, I haven't even I don't even know the story yet. I'll yeah, have to go, find out. go yeah go listen to first half hour Horses in the Morning on Monday's show. Well, we oh, recounted gosh. the whole the whole interesting day. Well, oh, but we don't have time for that because we have to get back in history. We're going to do our monthly feature here with Gail Stewart uh, with her Horses in History segment, this time about Wimpy. And of course, every month we have Gail Stewart stops by. She was the author of 100 Horses in History, and we do our Horses in History segment. And this month, we're going Wimpy. That's right. We're talking about Wimpy. And this is not the guy who was on uh, that certain cartoon that we all know about. This this is a different Wimpy. So good. first of all, hello, Gail. Hi. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for joining us again. Yeah. You and Helena? Wimpy. Tell us who Wimpy is. Well, yeah. he is truly one of my most favorite horses in all of history. He was a chestnut sorrel stallion, and he was born um, in uh, this little tiny town called Alice, Texas. And he was somehow he got to the King Ranch, the storied King Ranch of Kingsville, Texas, and he became one of their cow horses. He where he was just one of the herd. And um, in 1940, the a, a bunch of really wealthy, influential ranchmen got together and they founded the American Quarter Horse Association. And so they decided that they needed a, a horse to put, they, they wanted to, know, to figure out how to select the first horse to be registered in their, um, in their registry book and in the stud book. And so they decided that the horse that won the Grand Champion Halter Stallion class at the 1941 Fat, uh, Fort Worth Fat Stock Show would be named the, the, the very first entry in the stud book. And he would receive the, um, the, the numbers P1, which means permanent number one. So Bob Claybird Jr., who was, by then he was a member of the King family, he got with his, uh, the, the ranch veterinarian and the cow horse ranch foreman and they out of all their hundreds of horses they fixed they they selected this really pretty chestnut three-year-old stallion and he was he was almost four when the when there was the competition and the competition um happened 76 years ago last week on march 13 1941 and so they trailered wimpy up to the uh horse show and he won the competition and was named Wimpy P1 after that. And you're right, the way he got his name was the, um, the, the ranch hands who fed him and took care of him, they compared his ravenous appetite to that of the character in the Popeye commercial, uh, excuse me, <laughs> cartoons named Jay Wellington 
wimpy. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. And so you just think this fabulous, wonderful stallion, who was the grandson of Old Sorrel, who was King Ranch's foundation stallion, would go through life with a name like Wimpy. But he did, and he is famous because of that and other reasons. <laughs> um, but anyway, so he then he I, we could find no record of him ever being ridden. He was never shown again. He never was ridden in halter. I mean, in performance classes, he just retired back to um, to the ranch, and he lived there till he was twenty one. And he he sired one hundred and seventy four registered quarter horses. Well, that's what and he was then, doing. <laughs> yeah, wow, he was living the life of Riley on the King Ranch. <laughs> And not had to, he didn't have to do a whole lot and just um, show up for work that, once a day. <laughs> right, <laughs> that's exactly right, and that's what he did. So then, then in nineteen, um, well, when he, when he was twenty one, well, he was born, uh, as I said, on the on the the um, in South Texas, and he was born in nineteen thirty seven. And then he, when he was twenty one, for some reason, the King Ranch didn't want to keep him and they gave him back to the original breeder in Alice, Texas and and uh, his name was George Clegg and Mr. Clegg his health began to fail and then he sold him to Rex Cobble in Crockett, Texas and Wimpy died in August of 1959 and there is a it looks like a historical marker you know like you see on the roadside markers historical markers but there is a a sign there um commemorating Wimpy at the arena in Crockett, Texas. But better than that is after he died, Bob Clayburgh wanted to really memorialize him in a proper way, and so he had he took some photos, a bunch of photos of Wimpy to a sculptor, and they did a life-size bronze of him, which now stands outside the AQHA International Headquarters in Amarillo, Texas. And really beautiful he's a stocky little horse he was only 15 hands but um but he had a long lasting and today even today i mean his horses are good are fabulous his gat in halter classes and performance reigning uh, western pleasure working cow horse so that's kind of the story of wimpy p1 <laughs> are there any photos of him floating around yes there is a fat. I matter of fact, in my book, I got um, I got the photo from the King Ranch, and they're a button-down operation. You have to explain to them what you want to what you want the photo for, and and they approve everything. But that's a wonderful photograph of him. And then there is a famous painting of him by Oren Mixer. I don't know if you've ever heard. of He was like a painter of famous quarter horses in the fifties, I think, and sixties. And um, there's a famous painting of him. But there's also a photo in the Western Horseman book, Legends, Volume 1, uh, taken of three-year-old Wimpy right before he went into the arena uh, for the competition. And, uh, you know, it's funny. Today all these horses have polished hooves and, and fancy halters. And this was just, he just looked like a ranch horse. He had be- was beautiful, but he just had a leather halter on and a little silver chain, and his hooves were not polished or cleaned up. But he won, and he goes down in history as a legend. A couple things strike me about that. One is I always think about the Quarter Horse Association being thousands of years old, 
and not yeah. ju- not just 1941, right? Uh, that's right. one thing, uh, you know, because you, I just it's the largest breed association in the world, and yet it's not as old as I thought it was. No, it really isn't. And and they decided, of course, Wimpy got the number P1, then the numbers two through 19. When those horses were selected, they became the AQHA, what they called their foundation stallions. And um, and that's kind of how they got started. But these were all pretty important men in the industry, and um, they did a good job setting it up. And if you've ever been to AQHA, they have, well, there's the, AQ, the American Quarter Horse Hall of Fame, and Wimpy was admitted, of course, into that in 1989. But they have, on their website, they have biographies of all of these horses and where they came from and and um, what they did and and how they were important to the breed and the industry but it's it's a it's beautiful it's huge it's right on on the highway and it takes about a block of space but it's uh, but he is there and um, welcomes everybody to the the building to the association headquarters <laughs> very interesting and you know the king ranch is still is still I just was reading about this the other day it's still 825,000 acres it mm-hmm. takes up 1,289 square miles. <laughs> yeah. Is that just in Texas? <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. uh, it's six and, you know, Texas when you, counties. When yeah. They have a yeah. great website. They have a great website, and one of the main navigation buttons on their website is careers. <laughs> so there's a lot of stuff going on, all that acreage. Do you know that guy that started the King Ranch, his name, I, I just read about this uh, the other day. His name is Richard King, and he was a river pilot. He was captain to boat. On the river, so he was an Irish immigrant. Um, he was born in New York City to uh, two Irish immigrants. They were he was second generation, um, and uh, that's it. So he did not start that, uh, you know, with a lot of money. You know, it was not something that that he started out with a family with means. He was he was a poor river captain. There's a good there's a good Mike Rowe story, isn't there? In there somewhere, uh, Helena. That we talk about. I think that's a good stable scoop. That's a good stable scoop story. Yeah, that is. Yeah, we We need to dig into this a little bit deeper because that's really it's an interesting story. I mean, the King Ranch has had a you know checkered past too, but uh, like most of those big ranches did. Oh, I know. Yeah. You know what? They were so kind to me. First off, they helped me with the story and this photo, but then they, they bought some of my books to put in their, in their saddle shop. And that has always been on my bucket list because I've always had quarter horses. And so I want to go to the King Ranch. Even from mid- central Texas, it's, it's a drive. It's a way down there, ways down there. But I read also that, that Richard King, Captain King, originally paid two cents an acre for his ranch. Two cents an acre, and think of it. I mean, it has oil, and it has cattle, and it has horses, and it has big buildings, and it's an incredible American story. Well, remember, have you read the story, the 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 novel Giant by Edna Ferber? No. Well, she and there's the movie with um, oh, one of my favorites with uh, Rock Hudson and Elizabeth Taylor. But she she um, based the book and the not the the novel on the King Ranch and went down there and did research. It's such a I don't know. I'm going to go there someday. There you go. Well, you know, it, back then, too, this was around the 1850s. I remember reading in this article. It was around the 1850s. Right. Cows were selling for about $6. And then oh. you could get yourself a Mustang or a quarter horse right off the ranch, a ranch horse, they called them back then. They were kind of mixed up a lot back yeah. then, for $6. Uh-huh. And a good stud horse would go for 200 
A really wow. good stud horse would go for 200 but the average horse was around 6 bucks. So when you see in the Westerns that they're going up and they just throw a couple coins to buy a horse, that's pretty much the way it was. So. <laughs> now, now that, that was a time when America was great. So if we want to go back to that. Well, you can uh, you can throw a couple coins and buy a car now, right? Uh, yeah. Really? Well, it's amazing. I would love to know, and, and nobody seems to know how or why Wimpy came from, and what was his name then, who knows, but how he came from Alice, Texas to the ranch. I mean, there would be a story there. Did Mr. Clayburgh see him? Or, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing how these things happen. But he was so young. He was, he was, he was just before his fourth birthday when he won the competition. And, and that was all. Kind of like Secretariat. Secretariat, bless his heart, was retired at three. And, you know, what else could they have done? So, huh, but very interesting. But Wimpy proved himself for a long time. That's right. <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> well, you can find Gail's book. Just go to Amazon, search for Horses in History. Uh, 100 yeah. Horses in History is where you'll find it. And also, your website? Yes, at Gail at 100horsesinhistory.com. Very good. Thank you so much, Gail. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I love talking about Wimpy. Fairfield Inn and Suites North by Marriott Lexington is the ideal hotel for you as they are the closest hotel to the Kentucky Horse Park. They have the most spacious guest rooms and suites in the area, and they're only four miles from downtown Lexington. Fairfield Inn and Suites North offers complimentary breakfast, free Wi-Fi throughout the hotel, free parking, a business center, an indoor swimming pool and jacuzzi, an outdoor patio with grill, laundry facilities, and much more. You get hungry, Cracker Barrel is located right next door, and there are four other dining options available within walking distance for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Of course, Lexington is known for the Kentucky Horse Park, University of Kentucky, Keeneland, and the historical Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Enjoy a terrific hotel experience while you're touring Lexington. There's no denying that the Lexington North Fairfield Inn & Suites is the best value in town and will meet all your hospitality needs. Just Google Fairfield in North Lexington and make your reservations today. We have Tom Lewis on with us today, and this is our monthly fox hunting segment. Tom is joint MFH, Master of Foxhounds, with the Norfolk Hunt Club, which is located not too far from me in Dover, Massachusetts. And um, we're going to hear from Tom. We're going to talk to him about his hunt how he got started, what it's like. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure that Norfolk is a drag hunt, which is a little different than a live hunt. So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. And let's welcome Tom Lewis to the Stable Scoop Show. Hi, Tom. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your show today. I am so excited because I hope to be out hunting with you guys real soon. Well, we would love to have you. We always welcome new equestrians who have an interest in fox hunting to come out and uh, experience the sport with us. So we will look for you this spring when our new fixtures begin. Now, for folks who, who don't know much about fox hunting, tell them what your role is as master of foxhounds. So, uh, so we are a, a drag hunt club. Um, and as a master, uh, my colleagues and I, there are four of us that are masters of the club. We have uh, many responsibilities. Uh, the first responsibility is to hire a huntsman uh, who will hunt our hounds. Uh, we also maintain a kennel with 20 and a half couples of hounds. That would be 41 hounds. 
Uh, and then it is our responsibility to develop relationships with landowners that allow us to conduct fixtures. Uh, and a fixture is basically a route that we predetermine as part of a drag hunt uh, to take our members and guests over um, over the course of a typically two or two and a half hours. Our routes are typically 10 or so miles in length. Um, the territory is varied. We do uh, fields. We're in woods. Um, our obstacles are varied as well. We have a lot of uh, fences and stone walls and ditches and drops. Uh, but the whole point of fox hunting, and it, certainly with the drag hunt as well, is laying a scent on a predetermined route, and then the field, the riders, get to watch the huntsman hunt the hounds as they try to find the scent, and we simulate what a real fox hunt would be if a hound had come across a live quarry. Quarry could be fox. I mean, in our case, in our area, it's typically fox, but it could be coyote. We've, we've talked to some hunts in Florida that hunt wild boar. So quarry refers to the, the creature that we're following, that we're chasing down. That's exactly right. And in our okay. uh, country, although there are coyotes here and live fox here, um, there, our pack is not a live hunt. So uh, we simulate a actually the way a fox would go. And fox typically do circles and they're very wily. That's why they're often not caught. Um, but <laughs> uh, that's basically how we organize our hunts. How many members do you have roughly that are, are subscribing members to the hunt? Yeah. So I would say that uh, we're a little unique in that we have 150 members that are members of the Norfolk Hunt Club. I would say of those 50 are active fox hunters, and we will get up to six, 50 or 60 people out on a Saturday. Oh, that's good. holiday hunt. Yeah. Yeah. And that includes, you know, adults as well as juniors. We've really worked hard to develop our club and, and get juniors coming out as well. Um, but then we have another 50 members that are equestrians and like being a member of the hunt because they get to watch us. They come to our breakfast that follow. And there are other opportunities to engage with the hunt club other than just fox hunting. So the second 50 equestrians sort of like to do that. And then I would say the third 50, so the other third of our club membership are uh, primarily landowners, um, people who are nice enough to open their private property for us to uh, conduct our fox hunts. Now, you talk about a drag hunt, and my wife just last week went out on one of the last hunts of the year here down in Florida, and she went out with Misty Morning Hounds, and they do a drag hunt, but they do it a little differently. They they actually drag to a certain point, and then they all stop, and then they go out, and they'll do a drag to another point, instead of dragging it all at a time, because I guess with Florida being so hot and humid, the scent will get lost quickly, so they actually do it in stages. They have to, they, they'll mill around for about 10 minutes while they're out dragging the next line. Oh, well, I tell you, there is there is a science to developing the right scent to be laid uh, that you know the the hounds can pick up and actually hunt. And conditions are different every day. Some days are hot and humid; others are quite cold. You know, the sun is out; the sun's not out. So there's a number of things that a huntsman and a, what we call our human foxes need to do in order to make sure that they lay a proper drag. Um, I would say that we typically will have one or two what we would call checks. 
which is, you know, maybe a third of the way into the hunt, we might come to a place and actually rest the hounds and rest the horses. Uh, and that does give the human fox the opportunity to then maybe lay the next segment. So the predetermined route is figured out weeks in advance because we need all of the landowner permissions. Uh, but the, but the scent is typically laid, um, not too far before the hounds come along because we do want to make sure that the scent can be found and the hounds can properly hunt it. Now, she figured, Tom, uh, Tom, that they did it because they had a full bar that was converted in a golf cart. <laughs> this uh, these, this four-wheeler was converted into a full bar in the back, which followed them to every one of those stops. And she figured that there had nothing to do with the scent. <laughs> I have to be honest with you. I was just reading, I think it was Equestrian Life or some magazine, and I actually think I saw that a mobile bar. Um, I will tell you that we don't. <laughs> we know do how to that. do it here in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that we do do here, which I think even the Floridians would appreciate, is that um, typically at one of our checks, we will have something called a stirrup cup. And it's typically offered by the landowner or by a club member. And they'll come out, you know, with lovely trays of port or cider or lemonade, um, maybe even a cookie or two for the riders. Um, and we do that, again, just because we need to rest these horses and rest our riders, and people get quite thirsty while they're out there. So if they're not drinking from their own flask, they can at least have a little um, cup of port uh, at some of our stirrup cups. So it's a nice way to just sort of break up the, the hunt a little bit because it, it is very challenging. It can be quite tiring uh, for horses and riders, and it's always good to give people a chance to uh, catch their breath and uh, uh, wet their thirst. It is a lot of uninterrupted riding, which I think is probably the thing that surprises most people when they're out there. Um, even eventing when you've got cross country, it's it's a short timed route. You know, I think besides endurance, really, Glenn, um, the fox hunting has I don't know has my tushy in the saddle for the longest uninterrupted period of time. <laughs> so I'm always grateful for those checks and. You are. You're, you know, you're not just along for the ride. You're actively riding. And sometimes your horse is making the decisions out there, and sometimes you are. But I'm always ready for something, a, a nice lemonade or iced tea at those checks. I'm always looking forward to that. So the stirrup, folks who host the stirrup cups, thank you. All over yes. the world, <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. I thank them as well. And one of the things that's interesting is because I did some live hunting this year down in Aiken, South Carolina, and what I found with those is that, you know, there was there was a lot of times when we were quite honestly standing around waiting for the hounds to sort of work the cover and see if they couldn't get a coyote or a fox running, um, which is very different than our drag hunt where, you know, we, we know we're going to have scent out there and we know the hounds are going to run. And uh, no one in the field other than the landowners or the masters know where the human fox has gone. So there's still an element of excitement about, well, what am I going to come across? And what's the, which ditch are we going to end up doing? Or is there an in and out? Or, you know, those sorts of things. So um, I would say that the pace of a drag hunt in many ways can be uh, more consistently faster and longer than some drag hunting. I, I mean, yes. live hunting, right? Yeah, my I've wife says that. that all the time. She said she'd rather do a drag hunt than a live hunt because a live hunts you end up standing around a lot. You know, just waiting. Right. And, yeah. Right. That's, that's, so um, how many fields are there in your hunt? So, uh, again, we're a little different than some clubs. Uh, so we actually offer what we call four flights, 
Uh, the first flight are what we call the jumpers, and those are people and horses that are expected to jump every obstacle that comes along. If your horse refuses, you have to go to the end of your flight and then try it again. Um, but most of our obstacles do have a gap, and so the second flight comes along, which is called pick and choose. Uh, and those are people that can decide if they want to pick to jump something or if they're going to choose to go around it. Um, but those both move at, you know, a, a very fast pace. Um, the third flight is what's called the flats, um, and they move along with the first two flights just as quickly. Uh, but they uh, don't jump any of our obstacles. Okay. And then the last flight is what we call our hilltoppers. Uh, these are people who are either riding a green horse or it's a rider who's new to fox hunting. Uh, we invite them to come in and join our hilltopping group. Uh, we have a field master for every flight. And so the field master for the hilltoppers has a really important role because this person does know the route in advance and they can get the hilltoppers to a good vantage point where they can watch the hounds hunt as well as watch you know the field do its jumping and whatnot so they'll typically do a shorter route um uh and it's more about um being able to watch the hounds and and watch the riders and it's a, a great way to sort of break into the sport of fox hunting by joining the hilltopping group it is and the hilltopping field master essentially is like a babysitter and you will love your babysitter because <laughs> you you it's you know what it's it can be overwhelming if you just kind of jump in without having a taste of cuz even from hunt to hunt could be very different whether it's terrain or or style or how many flights you have um I love the hilltopping field because it just it gives me a sense of confidence because you get to know the terrain, you know, if I'm so, for example, my horse and I will be coming out with Norfolk soon. I don't really know your routes. I'll be very happy to ride comfortably in the hilltopping field, knowing that there's someone there that I can reach out to or follow behind um, as we, we kind of get our feet wet with with this group. So Absolutely. if you're new to this, you haven't done it before, you're thinking about it. When when you call the hunt secretary, ask them specifically about hilltopping. That's the place you want to start out. But I also love the fact that you have the third flight, which allows you to ride faster, but you don't necessarily have to dig into to jumping these obstacles. I mean, it's what a flexible uh, group that you have. I love that. It's so welcoming. Well, we do that. It is. It's welcoming. It's also a way for us to build our fields and build participation. Um, but the flats people go into that field knowing that they are not to jump any jump. Um, because if they were to jump a jump when the rest of the flats weren't expecting it, you know, you could have all sorts of chaos in the field. Yeah. So, you know, I sort of recommend to someone if they really think that they maybe even want to pop one or two jumps, then they ought to go in the back end of the pick and choose group where, you know, you can jump one or two and then go around the rest of them. So um, it's a way, quite honestly, to develop our field of riders to eventually have the confidence first to ride quickly, then to do some jumps. And then when they're doing picket shoes and they're finding, geez, I'm doing all of them, then they realize, well, heck, I should be riding up in first flight. And, right. and so that is the progression that people go through. I, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, too, was a while back, back in November 11th, episode 430, if somebody wants to go back and take a listen to it, we had the folks on from Cooper's Hill, which was in Ireland, about fox hunting in Ireland, and I heard you took a group over there and did that particular hunt. 
We, we did. Um, we, uh, so I should just tell you quickly that I came to fox hunting by taking my son out to a dude ranch for a couple of years um, for just a, a week's vacation. Enjoyed it so much, I decided to learn how to ride English back in Boston rather than Western, which is what you do out in Montana. And the person that was giving me lessons is a woman whose family, she is Irish, her family is from Ireland, live in Krakora, which is very near Adair. And after a year of lessons, this woman said, why don't you come out and come to Ireland with my family and fox hunt there? So I'd actually never done fox hunting in this country, but it started my fox hunting in Ireland. You started in Ireland? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and you if lived. I had known then, if I had known then what I know now, I would never have done that uh, because it was, it was a, quite a wild experience. But I must say I enjoyed it, and I did it for four or five years every February for a week. And then I thought, you know, I'm enjoying this riding and fox hunting so much, I should do it in this country, which is how I ended up buying a horse and joining Norfolk. But I hadn't been to Ireland for seven or eight years. And uh, February, we don't have a hunt season because of the snow here in Boston. So uh, we put it out to all of our members. And we had actually 18 people that uh, opted to come over and do a week of fox hunting in Ireland. 14 of the 18 were our active fox hunters with us. And uh, we engaged James Tonnery from Cooper's Hill Livery. Uh, and James was wonderful to get us invited to two hunts, both of which were live, as well as organizing a cross-country clinic before we started and a wonderful beach ride in the middle of the week. So I must say the fox hunting there is very different than it is in this country. Uh, but the, uh, James and his staff were wonderful. The horses were terrific. Um, and the Irish uh, people are such warm, wonderful, generous, um, enthusiastic uh, people and equestrians that um, I think we made memories that will last people a lifetime. You know, oh Helena, God. you and Jennifer still have an invite to go over there. Uh, I know. And do that hunt. I, you are crazy not to go because James will take great care of you. He, he, is, uh, he also has a wonderful young man working for him named Martin. And Martin and James rode with us in both of the hunts that we did uh, with Cooper's Hill, and it was wonderful to have them in the field with us. So if we did have a problem, if someone came off and that sort of thing, James and Martin were there to sort of pick people up and <laughs> give them a leg off, and, and off they went again. So while uh, we hunted with the... Well, you can fix that broken uh, leg carrier. later. Get back on your horse. That's, that's right. It was, it was the concussions that really... Uh, <laughs> uh, but we hunted with the Galway Blazers as well as the Guala Harriers up in uh, County Galway, and um, it was extraordinary up there with stone walls and and uh, and then we hunted with the Limerick Harriers down near there and that country is very different. It's a lot of ditches and uh, what they call double banks and things. And uh, but you know we all had a marvelous time. We all survived. Everybody came back in one piece. And uh, uh, we just uh, I can't say enough wonderful things about James and his business and his staff and horses. Um, they were really, all of it was wonderful. Well, there we go. Uh, Our next vacation, Helena. There we go. Yeah, we, you I, you guys can go out fox hunting, and I'm sure Buck and I can find uh, some, some pubs nearby. We'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, well, I have to the, tell you, you, you start and finish at a pub, so you'd be very Oh, happy. perfect. We'll just meet you there. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't even have to leave. I might even learn Sorry. to like soccer uh, while we're sitting there. Who knows? Well, So here's something of a – I have a, a, a personal interest in this question, and, and maybe we can wrap with this, Glenn. Yep. Um, so – I live in the perfect 
hunt country down here um, in Rhode Island without a hunt. We have lots of open space, although much of it does belong to private landowners. And I know that that um, you guys recently had you or you developed a new fixture somewhere down here. I want to develop another fixture down here and I want to start talking to landowners and, you know, get another route lined up. Is that something that you do? Do you actively kind of look for new space and landowners? Absolutely. And that, and that is the role of the masters is to always develop new territory. In the three or four years that I've been a master, we've opened two wonderful fixtures. One is one that starts in Little Compton and is your, and your right goes into, actually starts in Westport and goes into Little Compton, Rhode Island. And we have now registered that property. And so that is Norfolk Hunt territory. And we um, started a second one just outside of Worcester, Mass, in a town called Sutton. Um, so the only thing that... Uh, what, hap- what has to happen is that, you know, the whole country is divided uh, up amongst all the different hunt clubs. So if, if, a, if Tan Heath, which is the hunt that typically is hunted in Rhode Island and now they're hunting in, in eastern Connecticut, if they haven't hunted that property for a couple of years, if the landowners invite Norfolk to come down and hunt their property, uh, we can do that. And after two years, we can actually register that property to be part of our Norfolk territory. And then that would become a permanent fixture that we would offer our members and guests on an annual basis. I didn't so know it was territorial it is, like that. Tom. There's nobody here. There's no <clears> hunt. <throat> there's nobody here. Just us <laughs> landowners waiting for some horses. Well, well, I will tell you something. I, you, you know how to reach me because you have my cell phone number. And I would be very interested in coming down and walking the property with you, meeting the landowners, um, trying to develop a relationship. And I promise you that we will find uh, time in our fixture calendars uh, to try to organize a hunt down there. I, I can't. People love it. Our members and guests love it when we're opening new country because for them it's it's all about the scenery and it's about the jumps and it's about the process of walk, watching the hounds hunt. So um, I, I am very anxious to do more in Rhode Island and uh, would welcome the opportunity to work with you on that down the line. There you go. Awesome. Sold. Great. <laughs> it's norfolkhunt.com very simple and also you can find them norfolk hunt club on facebook we'll put links to those in our show notes as well thank you tom for joining us it was a lot of fun thanks tom it was, i enjoyed it as well thanks so much for giving me the opportunity and we'll look forward to being in touch soon Road to the Horse is right around the corner, and the Horse Radio Network is proud to once again be the premier radio network covering the event with Horseware as our title sponsor. On March 23rd to March 26th, four of the finest female trainers in the world will gather in the world's leading colt starting competition. With the help of my amazing, knowledgeable co-host Tara Carter, we will bring you all the action from ringside at the Kentucky Horse Park. Listen live or recorded to Horses in the Morning on Friday the 23rd and Saturday the 24th at 9 a.m. And then, for the second time, we will be bringing you the only free coverage of the finals on Sunday the 25th from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. The best way to listen is on the Horse Radio Network app. Just go to iOS or Android app stores and search Horse Radio Network or visit horseradionetwork.com. Thanks to all our terrific sponsors for making this happen. Horseware, Cashel Products, Cavallo Boots, Horse Lovers, and Enjoy Yums. Visit RoadToTheHorse.com to learn more.
And now our Tack and Habit segment for this week brought to you by Horselovers.com. And I got to tell you, Helena, that Jennifer was on the auction. Horselovers had a big auction this week, if you missed it. Their final day was last Wednesday, and they had a whole bunch of products closing out that they were selling, on their not on eBay, but on their own internal auction site. And they had stuff going. They had breeches going for $15. Tough Rider breeches going for 15 bucks. They had an endurance saddle that, brand new, that's a $1,300 endurance saddle that sold for like 600 They had the Cavallo boots that were selling for 40 bucks. I mean, they had stuff that was marked down. You got some good deals on this auction if you watched it. And I, Jennifer has not told me. If she got anything, which means she probably, I will see a box, or there'll be a box coming while I'm gone, is what that's going to happen. But yeah, they had some terrific auctions going on. They do this every once in a while. You just have to go to horselovers.com and keep an eye on it every single day. Like right now, they have grooming supplies on sale, uh, and it just depends on the day. Just hop on over there every single day and check out the big banners at the top of the page. There's a new coupon code I need to give everybody, too. It's HRN will get you 10% off your next order. So HRN, just put it in the coupon code area and we'll get you 10% off your next order, excluding the auction. That was already cheap enough. Well, we have Hillary Bornman here with us today, and she has been with us before, and she's going to be reviewing the none finer grip reins. Hey, Hillary. Hey, how are you? Good. So uh, we all have had reins before. Tell us about these. <laughs> All right, so um, these are very, very soft, thin rubber reins. I know a lot of people who have experience with rubber reins know that they get gooey when you get fly spray on them. They're very thick to hold and kind of bulky and stiff. But these are absolutely, completely different. Um, I don't have my own horse. So every time I have to borrow somebody else's tack, I get a mishmash of things. And uh, I was very lucky to run across somebody that had these. And uh, they're just very, very soft. It's a um, almost like a nylon core rubber, which makes them nice and thin and flexible. And they have just a very small uh, pebble grip to them. And they're extremely comfortable. They're extremely strong and really grippy. They don't slip around when they get wet. So uh, this is like the perfect answer to those people that don't like rubber rings. Got it. All right. So now these, um, I'm trying to remember, these come in a multitude of colors, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you get, I want the brown ones, but they also come in plain black. Uh, but you can also get white, blue, red. I think they have purple. There's a lot of choices here, so you can match your event colors, no problem. Yeah, and you can get some. And I know the rubber part goes so far, and then there's leather the rest of the way, and I know you can get black and brown leather, too. Um, Yeah. 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 They're not, they're not, are they clunky? Like, are they, are they really thick in your hands, or are they, you know, light? No, they're very light. They're very soft. You know, um, when you're a little kid and you get the big fat crayons when you're learning how to color? That's yeah. like the old traditional rubber reins, and these are like, you know, the colored pencils, the nice advanced type. They're very comfortable. They're so easy to hold, and uh, you you have enough uh, grip that you're not worried about losing your rein, but you can also close your fingers around them. Perfect. I, and, you know, what you said, I didn't think about it till then, but using somebody else's reins is kind of gross, actually, because they're uh, they get all sweaty and ugh. 
<laughs> it's like putting on someone else's sock. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think so about that. When I when I came across these, I'm like, you know what? I can get my own pair of brains. And uh, these are actually really nice because they have the stainless steel roller buckles on the bit end. So you can change them out super fast. Oh, I like that. Terrific. They're made in America, too, like most of the non-finer products are. So you can uh, find them at horselovers.com. They're 90 bucks. So you think they're worse than 90 bucks then? Oh, yeah. I'd pay more. Well, there you go. Oh, wow. That's a testament right there. And, <laughs> you know, with the 10% HRN coupon, you can get your shipping for free or you can get nine bucks off the price. So uh, head on over there today. Check them out at horselovers.com. Thank you, Hillary. Yeah, no problem. Take care, guys. Now, Helena, you were on quite an adventure this morning at a press conference, right? I was on, on quite an adventure, but not as great an adventure as the folks who were at this press conference with me. As part of that Newport show, uh, I'm starting to cover some more water things. <laughs> Spoken like a true horse person. <laughs> there is something called the Volvo Ocean Race. And I had no idea what it was when I first showed up at this press conference. Well, apparently, it is a sailboat race around the planet. <laughs> around Oh, that little thing? <laughs> yeah. These sailboats are powered by nothing but the wind and some very highly experienced racing members, sailors, sailors, S-A-I-L-O-R-S. Yes, professional sailors. And um, it's a race that's done in eight legs. And the boats travel from, I believe they start in Spain this year. And they hit Portugal. They go down around uh, Cape, is it Cape Town in Africa? Yep, in South down Africa. the bottom of Africa, the little point there. Yep. Yeah. They go around Australia. They hit Hong Kong. Then they loop around the globe and they come around South America, which I believe is Cape Horn. And then they come up the eastern portion of the Atlantic Sea. They hit Newport. And then from Newport, they do a transatlantic sail back to Denmark, which is where they, they finish the race. So it takes almost a year for this entire race to take place. And they do get to stop off in 10 or 12 cities around the globe, um, you know, have their, their boats checked, have their, their sanity checked and really get people juiced up about this. So Newport is the only place in North America where these racing sailboats will stop. So for two weeks next year, all of Newport is going to be taken over by people who are following this race. I didn't know how exciting it was going to be, but as a non-boat person, I'm pretty stoked. I can imagine how, how... How many people are on each boat? Is there a limit or... Uh, it's about 10 people. And do they have to start with... Do all 10 have to end with the race? And does it have to be the same boat? In other words, be, it, if you break it, your boat. It is the same boat. Yep. It, it is the same boat. And the boats are sponsored. They have corporate sponsors. They are, this is the first year where all the boats have to be manufactured identically. So you used to be able to sort of have your own variation of this particular racing boat, but really now, and, and the race happens every three years. So, you know, we have the World Equestrian Games or the Pan Am Games in horses. This is sort of, this is the equivalent. And um, so the boats are all manufactured in Denmark, super high tech racing sailboats and they're about i think they're about 70 feet long so i assume they must have a galley and bedrooms and all that stuff place to sleep yes yeah. yep yep 
there's there's living quarters in the hull, but because it's a race, um, nobody really gets to rest. So each yeah, sailor, we're not anchoring at night, are we? <laughs> no, there is no resting. Um, I mean, it's it's really quite amazing. It's quite amazing. To me, Ma- it sounds imagine, absolutely terrifying. By the way, I I. Oh. I couldn't. I couldn't get out of the harbor in Antigua. <laughs> my brains out. Okay. Yeah, this one'd be good. <laughs> yeah. No. One year of puking your brains out. <laughs> well, I was. I had a conversation with um, my new co-host of. We're going to be starting a boating show over on the Sparkling Boom Network, and so my new co-host was. He was an officer on a naval warship in San Diego. See, so he was career navy, and um, he was telling me about being on this huge warship in that was the Indian Ocean at some point or somewhere in the southern seas. And now apparently the southern seas are akin to the Mongolian desert. You know, someplace you find yourself, you really don't want to be, but you gotta make it from one end to the other and hope that you you make it alive. That's where they did the 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 anti whale hunting show that we watched all those years whose name totally has slipped my mind. The ones who were trying to stop whaling, that's in the yeah. Southern Seas. And it was always rough and there was always storms and the waves it's, are yes. always about 50 feet high. Yeah. yeah. That's what makes, that's like the cross-country uh, phase of eventing. Okay, right? So <laughs> that's where the real like juice happens in the Southern Seas. So he was telling me that on this warship that had, you know, four to 500 uh, sailors, he said there were probably maybe 40 that didn't get seasick. Uh, I mean, these are career professional uh, Navy people. And uh, I was I like, that's yeah. terrifying, by the way. I just think it's terrifying. I'm good. Just stick me on my postage stamp of a saddle and send me through the country <laughs> at, you know, 20 miles an hour on a horse with a brain, a mind of its own. I'll feel much safer there. You know, yeah, I, we love cruises. We're going on another one in May, but they tend to avoid the rough weather. They try and go around the rough weather, not through it. Yeah, so you know, I mean, we see storms that come up in the Atlantic Ocean, but honestly, and and the, you know, when you go down to the Caribbean, the and you you when you're on a Caribbean island, there are two sides. There's the Atlantic side of the island and the Caribbean side. Huge difference in the water, right? The Atlantic side has waves, it's got chop, it it rolls and and swells. The Caribbean side is just like aqua blue glass. And so you tend to think that the Atlantic Ocean is kind of hefty and rough, not compared to some of the other oceans in the world. Based on what I've learned so far, the Atlantic Ocean is actually kind of nice. <laughs> so we'll see. You know, it's funny because even the Gulf of Mexico can get rough. I mean, well, look the, look at the, the oil rig disasters because the Gulf of Mexico can get rough, right? Yeah. It just, uh, I guess any place with a large body of water, it can get uh, sticky. Well, that's going to be fun. I hope you guys follow that on your show because what an adventure. That's like oh, the gosh. Mongol Derby yeah. times 10. It is. It is. And and two of the fellows who are on this um, this team that, that's coming out of the U.S., basically, the, the U.S. representatives, they're local. They're from Newport. So we're we, – Rhode Island has a lot invested in this particular race. 
I can't wait to hear it. That Newport show, everybody, that Newport show. You know, people are still finding out about it. One of our auditors posted today. I got to listen to that. I, You know, when, when we posted about your article, which we also have to mention. But yeah. um, she posted there today that I used to live in Newport. And, uh, you know, she hadn't heard about it yet. So we're still getting the word out about that Newport show. I love it. I love when my my stable scoop and HRN fans pop over to that Newport show and have I have had so many wonderful, warm and lovely messages from my HRN family that have come over to the Newport show side and listen to Buck and I talk about relationships and fine dining. It's it really is like family coming over. And you uh, had a little article written about you. You're a celebrity now. <laughs> Sliver. Do I get to wear a hat? You get to wear. Oh a yeah, word yeah. You I'm need one. You need her. Uh, you need one made that says, "I am a celeb." Well, the cover of the news of the paper actually says, um, "Off to the races, uh, horses." Something like the equestrian podcasting queen. <laughs> I'm like, I am a podcasting queen. Take it. Well, you could be a dressage queen or podcasting queen. You get your choice. (laughs) I think I'm more of a podcasting queen. So, so tell everybody what that was. So, um, the edgy, uh, local newspaper called the Newport Mercury decided to send a reporter out to my house and do, uh, an article. It's like a Q&A, you know, an interview with me. And then, of course, we talked for, gosh, almost an hour and 15 minutes. And um, she took, I had no idea what what part of the conversation she was going to use for the interview. You know, so. Because I thought it was going to be about that that Newport show. So did I, because it's the Newport Mercury. Well, turns out the girl is a horse person. And (laughs) she (laughs) she rides for the Roger Williams equestrian team. And she, uh, my name has been floating around because I've been doing some podcasting panels around town. And uh, she was like, oh, you, you know, you do. I had talked a lot about the Horse Radio Network at this one particular event. So she got wind of it. And, you know, she said, I want to come and, and interview you. She didn't say I wanted to interview you about Horse Radio Network. So I just assumed because this was a Newport newspaper, she wanted to talk about that Newport show. Well, she, she I had she had me digging into my history, my corporate history. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. When did we start Horse Radio Network? Who was there? What shows? Like, I didn't even know. <laughs> well, she um she may have gotten a few of the numbers a little wrong, but they were for our benefit, so we'll take it. They were for yeah. I wish they were that. But uh yeah, she may have uh, messed a couple of those up. But it was a good article nonetheless, and the pictures were great. Hey. Yeah. That's, you look right. happy with your horses. Oh, I'm always happy with those two goofballs. Yeah, but it was a really good picture. It really was. She did a good oh, job of that. She did. She captured the essence of how I feel when I'm with And, my and they were such hams. I mean, that just. <laughs> and, and I really, I didn't even need any treats. They totally know when there's a newcomer around. They're like, hi, who are you? Would you like to take my picture? This is my good side. <laughs> you know, it's, they're, it's ridiculous. I'm like, how do you guys know? If I was allowed to use that picture, I would use it today. But I don't. I don't. In the show notes, I'm not sure we have permission to use it. But it oh, was. We a, can ask. Yeah, it was a terrific picture. It really was. Uh, and you, if you want to see it, just go over to Helena's Facebook page too. It's it's on there, and we can post that. We can po- post a link to that on Stable Scoop if we haven't already. Why don't you post a link to the article over there? I can do that. I yeah. can do that. Why don't it's we do also that? on that that Newport Show Facebook page. But I'll I'll share it to Stable Scoop. Yeah, that way we everybody can check it out. <clears throat> yes. 
Terrific. Well, that was a lot of fun. You, you, I'm, uh, you deserve it, by the way. You deserve all the accolades you're getting, and I think you're oh. really hustling, and I think you're going to have a network as big as the Horse Radio Network here pretty soon. Well, I'm following in your footsteps. I mean, yeah, just don't do all the mistakes you. that I did along the way. Let's skip I'm the mistakes hoping. and do all the good parts. <laughs> I'm hoping the time frame will be a little bit shorter. Shorter, and nine the years. Will be fewer. <laughs> well, you already have more listeners in a year than we had. Really? Yeah, I think we had We're, at the end of the first year of Stable Scoop, we had like 120. 120 listeners. Yeah. Yep. Okay. We're. That's, I don't know how many we have. I mean, we look to see what we You're do ahead of that. episode. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we have. Well, it's funny, you know, you say this all the time is that when people find a podcast that they like, they do go back mm-hmm. and listen to earlier episodes. Uh, our earlier episodes are pretty much at the same download rate as our current episodes. So, so folks are going back oh, into yeah. the archive and, and digging in, well, like which Mike, is so cool. Mike Rowe, we found his about three months ago. And we went back to every, I've listened to every micro. Now they're short, you know, they're 10 minutes, but yeah. I've listened to every one. And, yeah. and, you know, from the beginning, he, it's just a damn, and when you find one you like, you do do that. Yep. Uh, I did something different for my road trip today. I posted in the PodFest uh, Facebook page from PodFest this year. I posted that I want 10 new shows to try on my 12-hour drive to Lexington. So I had everybody post their favorite episodes of of their shows so I can try some new stuff. I'm going to try because you get in a rut. You do listen to the same things over and over again because you like I, them. I switched up a little bit. Yeah, but I'm going to try some different ones. And you know what? Every time I try a different one, I get a new idea we can steal for our shows. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. That thing is new. <laughs> I see. We're having um, a bit. I listened to one called the American Fashion Podcast, which really? is. Yep. It's it's an actually an industry podcast, which is fascinating. You learn a lot about how clothing is manufactured. Um, it, it's not the glitz and glamour. But uh, there was a woman on one of the episodes, she, a, a fashion designer, a, I'm a fairly well-known fashion designer. And I was so inspired with her story that – and it fits totally within the whole Mike Rowe world. Um, I was so fascinated with her story, I reached out and said, hey, you want to be on our show? <laughs> She was like, sure. Well, there you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Big name designer on that Newport show. I cannot wait. You know, it's, they just fu- op- it's they funny. They just opened up a, um, a, a sewing facility not too far from here, which oh. is why we, we decided to, to oh, have her on. that's cool. You know, it, it's funny because podcasters say, well, how do I get that guest? Sometimes you just ask. <laughs> it works. It, yeah. It's true. You know, we have uh, a very big name coming on tomorrow on Horses in the Morning in the racing world. Uh, the guy who runs Donegal Racing, which he nice is racing in the Dubai Cup this weekend. And Jennifer just asked him one day and he said, sure, I'll come on. And now he's been coming on ever since. Awesome. She just asked, you know. Now, on the other hand, Carrie Underwood and... Um, Kaylee Kuko have not been so receptive. Uh, <laughs> Keep trying. <laughs> they've not Keep been as trying. receptive. One other thing before we go, we don't get a chance to talk very much, everybody, is yes. I do want to announce that uh, as you're hearing this two days ago on Wednesday night, the Messengers movie officially released. 
So the Messengers of Podcast documentary, which Horse Radio Network is in, officially released. It will be coming to iTunes in a few weeks. I will let you know when it comes to iTunes. You can get it there. And then also it'll be going Netflix. They're going to be submitting to Netflix and everywhere else. So I will let you know as that becomes available. Apparently, Neil just finished it today, and they're releasing it at a 1,400-seat theater in Tampa. Now, I don't wow. think all 1,400 seats are sold, but uh, there's going to be a large crowd there. I cannot go because I'll be in Lexington. I'm so bummed that I don't get to see the final thing yet. But uh, <sighs> uh, Neil said he is just, as a matter of fact, I just got a message while you were talking that he is sending the final cut over now. So it is finished. And uh, I think he's happy to have it done. <laughs> They'll be wow. submitting it to some of the uh, big film festivals around the world. So uh, who knows? where it's going to be shown. But it should be on iTunes, Netflix, Amazon, all of those. uh, And I'll let you know. So you guys can all... What we're going to do is we're going to have a watching party, Helena, with us and the listeners. So we're just going to pick a night, like all start at 8 o'clock, and all watch a Messengers movie so we can have a chat room going on Facebook at the same time. And we can all chat about it while we're watching. I think that'd be a great thing to do. That'd be a lot of fun. And that's it for today, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you being here. I have to get on the road. And you can find our app, iOS or Android. Search Horse Radio Network in the App Store. It's free, and it's super easy to use. You can find Helena's show that she's talking about and soon-to-be shows. ThatNewportShow.com Simple and easy. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. We have a, a Facebook page at Stable Scoop. Just search for Stable Scoop Radio Show. And even better, become an auditor. We have had more auditors sign up in the last week. We set a record again. And just more and more people are signing up and joining the auditor room. I think we're over 220 auditors now. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can become one too. Helena and I were able to, to give away what? $1,000 worth of stuff for testing. Oh, gosh. Two auditors that, that some night. some heck of a list, yeah. And I did one since then. So, you know, we've had, we're, we still have more stuff that needs to be tested this year. The only way you get to be tested and get on our show to review it is by being an auditor, just like Hillary did. So, all kinds of stuff uh, apparel, boots, tack, equipment, everything. Expensive stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's really expensive. But there's yeah. companies will send it out for review. So, there you go. And thanks to horselovers.com for making that happen. That's it for this week. Uh, That is it. That was a lot. Thanks all for listening and following along. We will be back next week with more. Until then, happy scooping. (laughs) 